With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. you live from somewhere in the dungeon in Low Mission. This is Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Hi, Karen. Hello, Kevin. For those of you who don't know, this is a show that's dedicated to positive atheism, secular thinking and humanism, and as well as skeptical thinking. We have some great guests here today. Who do we have, Karen? We have Ash Kumar, who is going to speak to us about... uh I don't know, growing up atheist in India and things like that, interesting things. And we have Usha, I'm sorry, I don't want to say your name wrong, Ramadur? Ramsunda. Perfect. Usha is here representing Sinopolitica. <laughs> Great to have you on board, guys. Um, before we uh, toss into everything like that, we want to do a bit of uh, a bit of uh, house uh, work, I guess. Um, I'm, af- I'm afraid I have to say that... Uh, yeah, Liam is not with us this week. He can't do a science segment with us. He was actually sent to Ottawa, right? He's on the, some kind of reconnaissance mission, right? Yeah, I, ju- I got tired of him and I sent him off. <laughs> yeah. He, no, he's in a he's uh, at a school trip in Ottawa. And, no, uh, I, I'm told I'm told he's actually spying on the uh, federal government. I know we got to be real careful with that. Right? <laughs> But uh, that's okay. I expect to actually hear from him during the show, so it should be interesting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He didn't tell you? No. Oh, actually. Oh, there it is. It's coming in right now. Hold on. Let me, let me read that. <laughs> uh, caught Prime Minister with his pants down in prison. Please send money. Oh, okay. Sorry, Liam. I might have to wait a bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Are you sure you sent him to Ottawa and not Toronto and he's not? Spying on Rob Ford. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, Harper with all of his stuff, that seems more coordination. Right? Maybe he misunderstood. It's quite possible. It's quite possible. Um, uh, let's do a bit of local news, if you guys don't mind. I certainly would like to, you guys to chime in and uh, tell me what you guys think about the, what's going on here. Um, in the uh, Abbotsford Mission area, uh, I don't have too many local news about what's going on in Little Maple Ridge, but maybe Ushi, you can tell us something about that. Uh, did you guys hear about this uh, gentleman uh, named Roy in, uh, in Abbotsford? A homeless person uh, apparently was uh, shot a couple of times by the police and with some rubber bullets. Uh, I did hear about that. Yeah. Uh, this, apparently, this gentleman is a 57-year-old. Um, he apparently, he's got some mental health issues. 
there's a video actually online and it's gone pretty much viral. Uh, he's shot by police with rubber bullets. He's ordered to lie down, and it's kind of funny because in the video the cops are calling him uh, John, and it seems that the gentleman doesn't seem to understand. Um, there was six and seven, uh, six or seven police officers from what I could count there. And uh, Ward Draper of the Five and Two Ministries says the situation uh, escalated needlessly. Um, he says that uh, knowing these gentlemen, because he deals with them on a regular basis, if you had offered him a vanilla latte, he probably would have calmed down. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do you think it's an escalation of violence from the, the local police, or do you think it's uh, I don't know. Well, if you wrote the number six to one or seven to one, I'd think that's, uh you could probably come up with a better solution than rubber bullets myself. <laughs> No, absolutely. Anything you want to add to that? Yes, no? No. <laughs> why, why, why is it that Abbott's heard, uh like getting famous for all the wrong reasons? Oh. Like it's all, and it's always about homeless people. Like It's like the city's on war with uh, its homeless yeah, population. It does feel like that. Yeah. I mean, in this case, I heard the CBC News report, and it seems like the, the police comment is that he seemed um, that like he was a threat to the peace or something. I don't know what the official term is, but... Yeah, they they called they called in uh, the the call was uh, basically uh, what they call a man with a knife. Apparently, there was a yeah. knife involved in there somewhere. So uh, that's that's what I'm told. But uh, I did not see the knife. Uh, there might have been a knife, but uh, I, either way, there's something weird about uh, a whole bunch of police officers and uh, not being ganging able. Ganging up. I think it's a form of ganging up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's one almost one individual. You know, some, excessive yeah. force and rape. Yeah, another story in the ongoing saga of Abbotsford versus its homeless population. Uh, otherwise, in Abbotsford, there's, um, there's also a local pastor from Abbotsford. His name is Patrick Marini, 71 years old. Apparently, was sentenced to seven months for trying to lure a 12-year-old boy by offering to buy new shoes at the library. Uh, another one in a long line of pedophile priests, apparently. Uh, apparently, he was previously charged in March of 2012 for sex offenses on a 15-year-old. And now he's... Back my bars again. Something to be proud of. Uh, in Mission, um, apparently there's a firebug in Mission. There's uh, police are suspecting that there's a uh, some kind of an arsonist going around uh, around. Uh, well, I hope I got this right. Dorkson Drive, which is yeah. south of Bowie Drive. Apparently three fires to date, and the suspect is a heavyset male, five eight, five nine, gray jacket, and it is not me. <laughs> I was going to say, say that. that. I was like, hey, yeah. It is not me, okay? I don't care what you say. It is not me. I can vouch for your whereabouts. It's okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I got at least somebody on my side. Um, also, um, other local news, Frank Dunham um, dropped the lawsuit. Uh, apparently, he was uh, suing the school district. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, Frank Dunham was the superintendent in mission for several terms, and uh at that time, he raised his salary every single year, and, and he was second highest paid superintendent of schools in all of BC. The only one that was paid more was Vancouver, which is obviously oh a goodness. much larger district than Little Mission. In fact, Mission is one of the smaller districts in BC. And so uh, anyway, he was finally forced out, and he then slapped a lawsuit on on the uh, school board saying that he was, uh, at a, he, I don't know, something about he should get more wages or something. Yeah, and that's the, the, the contract, right? He sued for yeah, the, the rest right. of his contract. Breach of contract. Yeah, breach of contract. And, but he's dropped the lawsuit. And you know what? I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but thank God that guy's gone. He's gone. Thank you. Uh, he, he was a bad deal for, for mission. Well, anyway, I'm not going to go on and on about this. How come a superintendent sets his own 
salary. Well, the, the letter, that was, the trustees letter. Yeah, he he took all the, the trustees, there's six trustees and they're supposed to uh, uh, vote on those things, but he actually took power away from the trustees and transferred it all to himself. And the trustees oh were, goodness. the trustees were complicit in that. And in the last school board elections, uh, they were mostly, but not entirely replaced. And then we've got some changes happening. Yeah, well, apparently it's just as bad right now. But anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, that was it for local news. You want to do your This Day in History? Before we go on to Usha and uh, Asher and uh, what they're really here for, because they're looking at us like they don't Actually, want to this might be a good time for Usha <laughs> to uh, talk about her, her Maple okay. Ridge. Uh, that, okay, that is kind of local news in a way. Go ahead. Go, ahead. go right ahead, dear. Okay, so there's a group in Maple Ridge called We the People, and We the People is hosting a town hall meeting on the Fair Elections Act, Bill C-23. And we have, we have a really good lineup of guests at this town hall. We have Bridget Lepap from the Council of Canadians. Stuart Parker and Bruce Bearhorst from Fair Votes Canada. We have Amy. Uh, Put your glasses on. Yes, I think I should. <laughs> Amy Lubick from Lead Now Canada. Gail Newfeld, who is a local poverty rights activist in Maple Ridge. Mm-hmm. And Tasha Koh, who is also a political activist. So it's going to be interesting discussions. Because even though Mr. Poliev, the Minister of State for Democracy or Democratic Reform, mm-hmm. Um, has walked back on some of the, the, the clauses on this bill. It, it's still important that we have a discussion in our communities on mm-hmm. this act because mm-hmm. elections are the foundation of our democracy. And we should be, this key should be going to all the stakeholders, the people, mm-hmm. the opposition parties, uh, organizations like Fair Vote Canada, Integrity BC, these kinds of organizations, mm-hmm. bringing them to the table mm-hmm. so that when there is a final act that is brought to Parliament, that act is an act that is, uh, you know, that embodies the, the suggestions of all the stakeholders. So, yeah. yeah so this uh, uh, town hall will be taking place on April the 29th. April 29th. Which is next Tuesday, by the way. And the location is the St. Andrew's Heritage Hall which is in Maple Ridge, and I can give you the address. It's of course. 222 Avenue, Maple Ridge. It's just up the hill from the Billy Minor. And oh. things uh, start, up, start at 7 p.m. is when the actual meeting starts, but the door will open at 6.30 for people to come in and just hang around and chat and stuff. So excellent, excellent. We're hoping for a good turnout and lots of really healthy discussions. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll keep a track on that and we'll follow and see what happens after that. Do you want to do the state in history? Okay. Thank you, Usha. Okay. The same history days. What is today? Like the 27th. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so this is encompassing the last couple of weeks of April. Uh, April 13, 1964, Sidney Poitier becomes the first African American to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. And that was for To Sir With Love, which is a fabulous movie. Um, night, April 13, 1970, Apollo 13 announces, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, an oxygen tank burst on the way to the moon. And if you've seen that movie with Tom Hanks, you know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to specify it wasn't Tom Hanks, actually. <laughs> I said it was the movie with Tom Hanks. <laughs> April 14th, uh, in 1828, Noah Webster copyrighted his first dictionary. In 1865, Abraham Lincoln is assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. And in 1912, the Titanic hits an iceberg that would sink her the next morning. 
Yes, the unsinkable ship. Yeah. Apparently we tempted God by saying that, so that's why it happened. <laughs> uh, April 15, 1945, Nazi concentration camp Bergen-Belsen is liberated by Canadian and British troops. And to completely shift gears on April 16, 1999, Wayne Gretzky retires. <laughs> that's a sad day in history. <laughs> sad the great one retires. Um, April 17, 1964, Geraldine Mock becomes the first Woman to fly solo around the world. Uh, April 18th, uh, 1763, Marie-Joseph Corriveau, she's called Le, Le Corriveau, she's in Quebec City, and she's hung for the murder of her husband, who beat her and abused her, but she killed him finally, and then she got hung for it. Yeah, and the, the funny <laughs> thing is, I grew up with that legend, and they say that to this day, you can uh, hear her ghost at some uh, parts where she was hung. It's almost a dare for some kids to spend the night over there. You totally did that, didn't you, Kevin? <laughs> Ran out screaming. I'd like to plead the Fifth Amendment at this point. You're in Canada. I, have, oh. I always tell him that, and he still says that. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's no defense. April 18, 1875, the Canadian Supreme Court is born. 1875. Um, April 19, 1882, Charles Darwin dies. Uh, and in, on April 19, 1982, the Constitution Act comes into effect in Canada. So that, that's not that long ago. I remember that happening. And I, uh, April 19, 1939, Molly Cool is the first Canadian woman to become a sea captain. That's pretty cool. She's got the name for it. <laughs> I couldn't resist. April One cool captain. <laughs> <laughs> April 20th, 1902, Marie and Pierre Curie isolated radium. Pretty awesome. She yeah. won. Uh, I think she won history. two Nobel She's Peace Prizes. Physics and chemistry, I yeah. think, at the time. And what's interesting about Marie Curie is that so she won with her husband, and then he died, and she had an she had an affair with his with a former colleague, and and she was being awarded the Peace Prize or the the Nobel Prize, and uh, and when they found out that she was you know sleeping with some guy, they said, no, we, we're not going to give it to you. And she said, no, you are going to give it to me. This has nothing to do with what I do with my personal life. It has what to do with what I do in science. So she was awarded the prize, but they weren't too happy to give it to her. Well, she probably threatened to poison them with radium. <laughs> <laughs> but this just shows you what uh, our Double society... Standard. Yes, Double yes, exactly. Uh, April 20th, 1912, Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula, died. What? That can't be right. 1912? Yeah, it's an old book. Yeah, it sounds, that sounds that correct. Sounds I thought, correct. No, I thought it was older than that. Oh, okay. No, oh, he died in 1912. Yeah. Yeah. Could have written the book 50 years before that. Uh, April 20th, 1916, Alberta gives the women the right to vote. Um, and in 2010, Deepwater Horizon... Of yeah, the, the, that's the, BB, the name. Yeah, the BB, yeah. Deepwater Horizon is the the drill. The the rig. The rig. The yeah, the name of the rig. BP explodes. Eleven dead and thirteen thousand gallons of crude oil per hour escape. The effects of which we're still feeling today. And we still will feel for many very many long, years. Very long time again. That's for sure. Uh, April twenty first, nineteen eighteen. The Red Baron, Baron Manfred von Richten, Richtofen. Finn, I don't know how to say that, is killed by Roy Brown, a Canadian ace, Wait a during a dogfight. You sure it wasn't Snoopy? <laughs> I thought it was Snoopy. I thought it was Snoopy for sure. Oh, we better check our facts. Okay. 
<laughs> if you're out there, you want to let us know if it was actually Snoopy or the King of <laughs> that killed the Red Baron. Uh, write to us at uh, Live in the Valley, <laughs> Left of the Valley, at Outlook.com. <laughs> April 21st, 1997, Gene Roddenberry's ashes are blasted into space. Okay. That was a sad day. <laughs> that was a sad it day. was a sad day. He was a visionary. Um, April 22nd, 1509, Henry VIII becomes King of England. Well, you are, you Canadians do love your royalty, so I that pl- was Kevin's fact. Right that there. wasn't me. <laughs> There's just important facts in history. Of course, he founded the Protestant Church, right? Mm. Yes, that's right. He brought it yeah. to England so that yeah. he could get a divorce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. that fantastic? Yeah. Did <laughs> uh, use the power of God like that? Well, on April twenty second, eighteen sixty four, the U.S. Congress authorizes "In God We Trust" on coins. Oh my God! On the um, coins. Oh, yeah. What year was that? What year was that? Uh, eighteen sixty four. But the the paper money didn't get on in God we trust until I believe it's 1954 or 1957. Yeah. But on the coins, it happened way before. Uh, April 24th, 1985, the Supreme Court rules that Lord's Day Act violates freedom of religion in Canada. So that's when stores were allowed to stay open on Sunday for the first time. I remember that too. 1985? Yeah. Is that recent? It's yeah. that yeah. recent. Every oh, wow. Before that, by law, you had to be closed on Sundays with a couple of exceptions like convenience stores. But everything else was closed on Sunday. And it was very controversial in my little town when that act passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1990, the Hubble Space Telescope blasts into orbit. That's cool. And, uh, oh, I was wrong. I said yesterday it's 1948. But it's actually 1940, April 25th, 1940. Finally, Quebec allows women to vote. Yeah, I know. To my, de never, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> to my great shame, <laughs> was the last province. By far. Well, the clergy was always stopped. Yeah, to be, yeah, always, to be fair, yeah. Yeah. it's not the Quebec, most of the Quebec population. No, it was, and, it was it the priest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to put yeah. a, really yeah. a real point, I had nothing to do with that. I was not born. <laughs> do not send me your hate mail at this point. Thank you. Uh, 1945, delegates meet in San Francisco to organize the United Nations. And in 1959, Fidel Castro arrives in Montreal for his first Canadian visit. So, 1940, women vote. 45, they start the UN, and 59, Castro comes to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, April 26, 1607, colonists land in Cape Henry and found Jamestown. Hmm. There's uh, always this big controversy because the Americans like to say that they have the first um, city on the continent that's of European descent. But here in Canada, we say, no, it's Quebec City. You know, Quebec City was found in 1608. They found Jamestown in 1607, but Quebec was actually a city. Jamestown was basically more of an encampment than anything else. But there were previous encampments before Quebec City. So for the Americans to say, you know, no, we were we founded the first civilization, if you wish, the first society on the continent. And well, that's the most controversial thing. They didn't have the first civilization. What, what do you call the Mayans and the Aztecs? Exactly. I exactly. mean, in, in the, in even the, if you go, yeah, even not if to you mention go, the Vikings. Yeah, the Vikings came before the, anyone. And they had permanent settlements European, in the far, European, far north. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They, they say the first Europeans, but you know, you know, our American friends, they left to, they've invented everything going up. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The last, last two. All both. I remember these. Uh, in my lifetime as well. April 26, 1986, Chernobyl near Kiev has a meltdown and they still feel the effects of that. And apparently, if you uh, cut down a tree near Chernobyl, you can you can see the year that that happened because of the, rings, the rings are yep. bright orange, like orange. glow in the dark yeah. from the radiation, radiation. which is yeah. Yeah. terrifying. 
1994, the full, first multiracial elections were held in South Africa. 94. That, that was history right there. That changed the world. Well, we yeah. do history every day. Is that it for your segment? That's all. Okay, excellent. So I guess now we move on. Um, shall we aboard the Trinity Western University, or do we want to talk about Cinema Politico? Let's let Usha talk about Cinema Politico. Okay, uh, we'll talk about it since it's something kind of local. Uh, Cine- uh, Usha, what is Cinema Politico? Mike is yours. Oh, okay. Cinema Politico is a, a, an international organization. Uh, first started in Concordia University in Montreal. And they, uh, this, this whole organization is dedicated to screening documentary films that you don't normally see in any uh, theater or you know, any, on the TV or anything like that. So this, we, we, we screen these documentary films in locals or chapters that are scattered across Canada, the U.S., and even in Europe. And these screenings are normally free. And they're really, really interesting films that can cover the gamut of different uh, type of topics. It could be environmental issues. It can be workers' rights issues. It can be, um, it can deal with uh, pollution. It can deal with uh, exploitation. Uh, our last film was called on uh, um, the end of the line, which dealt with fishing and overfishing in our oceans and what the future holds, and the prediction that by 1848 there will be no fish left in the sea. So these are the kinds of issues that we sort of uh, bring forth into the community. And the good thing about Cinema Politica is that we don't just screen the film. We always uh, have a special guest or guests that are knowledgeable in the area that, we, that is being discussed in the film. And they come out and they, they add to the discussion, they answer questions, and they sort of um, make, bring to the community that first-hand experience that is needed on these issues. So, yes, and, and our chapter, which is the Cinema Political Ridge Meadows, started in, uh, four years ago in 2010. And um, we have a really um, a core sort of um, very loyal following. And uh, depending on the type of film we're showing, we will also get different types of people coming mm-hmm. in to see. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's good in, in, in the sense that it brings the community together. Mm-hmm. And out of our chapter have risen other organizations that sort of flowed out of Cinema Politica where people uh, you know, saw an issue, realized that there needs to be some action on it. And what they did, we formed the Fraser Valley Pipeline Watch Group. Uh, we, we watched the movie uh, or the documentary on the line and realized that something needs to be done about the pipelines issues in uh, B.C. So that is just one example, but the, the, the good thing about Cinema Politica is that it not only brings issues that are very important to, to the level of the community, the grassroots, uh, uh, in, in terms of bringing attention to it, it also encourages people at the grassroots level to take action to address the issues mm-hmm. that are being brought forth, which I think is, is a good thing. You know, that mm-hmm. is the important thing, really, when you think about it. So, yeah, that, that's basically what Cinema Politica is all about. Uh, and you guys always have great discussions after your your screenings too. I've been there a few times, and yeah, they, everyone gets involved and and uh, expresses their opinions. And you get so many interesting stories about people who have sometimes firsthand experience about what you just screened that you didn't know about. And yeah, it's very interesting, very yeah, informative. People bring to the the, the the discussion their own life experiences, which makes it unique in that sense. So uh, I hear that uh, you are uh, you guys are doing some kind of uh, festival some kind of film festival for youth. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Maple Ridge uh, chapter of Cinema Politica, we've always, from the very beginning, felt that we needed to engage youth 
into the issues that are affect our community, our province, our country, our world, we always felt that we needed to get the, the point of view of the youth, get them engaged. And so from the very beginning, we always had an idea that we would have some sort of a, oh, some sort <laughs> some sort of a festival that would be geared towards youth. And so this year, finally, uh, in, in um, collaboration with the Golden Years Transition Initiative, we, have, we are putting on a Maple Ridge Youth Vision Film Festival. And the, the theme of the festival really is Ridge Meadows 2034. And what it is asking the participants to do really is to, is to envision the type of community, the type of uh, society they would like to live in as adults using the, the, the essential um, themes of the transition movement. Things like uh, uh, issues like energy and energy, um, uh, moving away from fossil energy and becoming more independent in terms of our requirements for energy. Food sustainability, um, how do we uh, move away from th th this whole um, sort of great dependence on imported food and food items. Things like community, building community, how do we strengthen the community so that should there be a disaster or anything happens, a community is strong enough to rally together, pull together to overcome these, uh, you know, whatever tragedy or whatever issue that has arisen that would cause angst within a community. So essentially, essentially you're, asking, you're, asking, you're asking kids to show them their perfect or their almost exactly. utopia of Maple yeah. Ridge. What is their utopia? What, 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 what they Maple would Ridge like to be? Like? Exactly. What, they, what type of community do they want to live in? Mm. And, and, and so the whole idea is for them to use their imagination to do that. And the, the, the thing is, uh, they can use any medium they want to express that. They can do it through a poem. They can do it through dance. They can do, do it through um, photography, taking pictures, putting a collage together. It's, it's, out, you know, it's anything. The sky's the limit to get that message across. So, yes. And the, the, the rules are, are very simple. Um, the, the the participants need to be youth, and we defined youth as 25 years and younger. Uh, the mm -hmm. films should be the videos or documentaries, if you wish. They, um, they need to be between 6 to 10 minutes long. And the deadline for submission is tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow is the deadline for submitting these films. So, yeah. So we're kind of, um, you know, looking forward to the type of films we'll get and so on. And everything will come to your head on May the 8th, where we'll be having the actual festival where the um, finalists, would, their films would be screened, prizes would be awarded, you know, the judges will make the decision based on the criteria that we choose. The prizes will be awarded. There will even be a an audience choice award. And I would like to add that the, the winner of this uh, festival gets $500. Cool. Ooh, right. Good. So that's kind of really cool too. So, yeah, so if there's any youth listening that would like to take part, uh, let let me know. Uh, Kevin will give you the uh, address to get us at or phone number. Sure. Okay, and um, they they I can, can get that. in touch. And if you really want to participate, and um, you you got this idea like now, and you won't be able to finish by tomorrow, contact contact me, and we we can offer an extension ba based on extenuating circumstances in this case. So we're inviting youth to take part, to, to share with us what they want to see, and maybe together we can work towards creating that ideal future. Yeah, That's very important. Very, very great idea. Have you had a lot of interest from Lots of interest. We've canvassed the schools. We've been to different uh, or, or other organizations, and, and we have spread the word, and, and we have gone to businesses. 
and we have asked them to spread the word with their employees, with their customers, to put up our posters and stuff like that. So yes, there's been a lot, a lot of interest in the in 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 the um, festival, and we are hoping that it becomes an annual event, mm-hmm. and that it's okay. something that you know people in Mirfordridge can look forward to, something really unique and local at the same time. Well, that's excellent. So I guess they can mm-hmm. look you up at uh, Cinema Political Maple Ridge. Yeah, Cinema, yeah, Cinema Political Ridge Meadows or Maple Ridge Pit Meadows on Facebook uh, and on uh, the web. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think uh, so the website is. Cinema Political Ridge Meadows. So that will be where you would look us up on the web. And uh, But to get us, basically go to the Facebook page because that has the up-to-the-minute information on it. Uh, i got to say, Usha, you're, uh, you came in here today and you weren't too sure about this. You were kind of nervous about doing the show. and You're a natural. <laughs> I mean, look at her, Usha. Guys. <laughs> Kevin just wants an excuse to use all of Yeah, I, I like the push button. I like the push button. I'm surprised that when she said the the final prize of five hundred dollars, you didn't have like a soundbite from uh, <laughs> I was like trying. Dr. Evo, like, I was one million dollars. I was trying to yeah, get that it. That would be nice. That would be nice. I was trying to get it, but it wasn't coming up. I was I was trying, but thank you for divulging all my secrets to the audience. <laughs> okay, so uh, you guys heard this. Uh, you guys you look it up at uh, Cinema Politicum, uh, Maple Ridge Pit Meadows. If you're interested, I think it's a, it's a great organization. It's a, they do a lot of good work for the community. And, great uh, community builder. I, I love that. It's yes. a face-to-face interaction such a rare and wonderful thing these days. And they're all across, they're all across Canada and around the world, actually. And uh, they, they, they try their best to show movies that you don't usually see the light of day in the regular cinemas all over the place. Yeah, and, and, and the films, you know, and, and the, the unique thing with Maple Ridge, uh, the Maple Ridge Rich Meadows, the Maple Ridge Pit Meadows, chapter is that we allow the audience to have some sort of input in the films because we offer them a choice mm-hmm. and they vote to choose the film that will be shown in the following month. So there is sort of a community buy-in to the film, mm-hmm. which, is, uh, which adds another element to it so that people do have a stake in seeing the film and it's an issue that really resonates with them. So that's kind of cool in that way. You guys have a great venue too, Youth City Hall, right downtown in Maple Ridge. It's also comfy seats. It's, uh, oh, yeah, yes. We do have a really good venue for our uh, films. And I think that really adds to the experience, for sure. Excellent, excellent. Well, check that out, guys. It's definitely worth it. It is worth it. I love Cinema Politica. Moving on, I guess we should really get into our subject we really wanted to talk about here today, and that's, of course, the... <laughs> well, we wanted to talk about all the subjects of course, today. <laughs> but the, the, the main bit of the show was about the uh, recent news about the Trinity Western University. Love that place. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> I've got papers here somewhere that talks about this. Well, I can get yeah. Trinity Western. I don't remember when it started, but it's been around for quite a while. It's an entirely privately run university. It does not get any public funding. No government dollars go into it. It's a Christian-based university. They do have uh, they have undergraduate degrees in liberal arts, and they do actually have a school of for uh, whatever they for teaching. To, mm-hmm. Whatever you call that. So feel free to chime in, guys, but uh, this is uh, the information I got about uh, TWU. Uh, Like uh, Karen said, it's a private Christian liberal arts university in Langley. It was founded in 1962. It enrolls approximately 3,500 students and offers 45 graduate majors. The motto is Turis Fortis Dus Noster, which translates to a mighty fortress is our God. It was commissioned by the Evangelical Free Church of America, it has close ties with the evangelicals in the mainline Protestants and the Mennonites. 
um, students there are held to a what they call a community covenant. Uh, it has. Oh, it's not just the students. Anyone who works there, faculty and uh, administrative staff and janitors, and if you work there, you have to sign this. Okay. Well, of course, you know it has a lot of nice nuggets about it. Normal things like no hazing, no plagiarism, you know, no drunkenness. You know, the kind of stuff yeah, you expect in a normal society. Yeah. But there's one thing that really uh, irks a lot of people. It also says that you should not have any sexual relationship outside of a heterosexual marriage. I believe it says out of outside of the sanctity of a marriage between a man and a woman. That word's important. <laughs> sanctity? Sanctity. Well, everything sounds cooler when you put sanctity. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, it's a heterosexual marriage. And outside of that, you're not allowed to have any kind of relationship, physical relationship. So, kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> if you're single, it really sucks. And if you're gay, it really definitely sucks. Um, in reality, though, from my experience of talking to Trinity Western students, uh, it's not what what it's being followed on the ground. But okay, I, I, yeah, well, I, I totally know. believe that. But so but the the point they say that if you don't follow this, you can be fired or expelled from the university. How could you possibly enforce that? I, I wonder, has it ever been uh, done? Has someone been fired or expelled and the university been taken to court on that? That but, is a good question. Yeah, I have I never, know. I've never. Seen that anywhere? Nothing along those lines. But it's an excellent question, and you do wonder. Well, if somebody in the audience knows if uh, anybody's been uh, fired or expelled from the university, send us an email. Let us know. We'd love to have that information. So, uh, in July 2012, they submitted a proposal to offer Juris Doctor in Law. In December 2013, the Federation of Law Society of Canada approved the program, and the BC Ministry of Advanced Education granted consent, so they can have the program. Um, <clears throat> But uh, the approval of other individual law societies must still be obtained for students to be eligible to be admitted to the bar in those regions. Right. So every province has a, a certain bar or a certain law society. They have to give their approval to say, yes, we will accept students from this university if they want to practice law in PI, Newfoundland, whatever. Right, right, yeah. uh, April 2014, the Law Society of BC, and this is just very recent, uh, gives the nod of approval or a 20 uh, versus 6 vote. So and they say in BC, it's going to happen. Uh, but also on, on April 24th, the Law Society of Upper Canada, that's in Ontario, voted against uh, having accepting those uh, students from right. this university mm-hmm. at a vote of 28 uh, versus 21, calling the policy uh, horrible and aberrant. Um, well, they didn't even pull any punches. Like, no, they're, no. They're, lo- they're all lawyers, and they, you can figure them writing good stuff, but they just called it horrible straight up. Yeah, straight up. You'd think you'd use nice lawyer speak. Uh, right here in Victoria, and we tried to get a hold of him. Unfortunately, he's a very busy man. We couldn't actually make our schedule work. But Michael Mulligan, uh, he's the uh, lawyer out of Victoria, uh, tried to draw up some support to challenge the Law Society of BC's approval mm-hmm. because they're all by members. So right. They're all by members. So he collected signatures. He needed 5% of the membership. So he needed about 600, 650 uh, this is, signatures. This is to review the decision. So yes. he, so he, is, he set around a petition to BC lawyers, mm-hmm. practicing lawyers, to, to say if they sign this petition and support his position, then the, they can ask the Law Society of BC to review their they, what, decision on the school. Yeah, they, for, they force a special general meeting to reconsider the decision. Right. Uh, right. So he needed 5%, like I said, 600, 650 uh, members. Uh, out of uh, about 12,000, 11, 12,000. Um, uh, last I heard, he's got over 1,300 right now. 
So it should go through. through. So it, it is, yeah, they yeah, will, yeah, yeah. yeah they will have a spread. The, the base amount anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the BC Law Society is going to have to uh, come back and, uh, and uh, review the decision. Um, this is a quote from him. He says, this is wrong and not in the interest of our profession. Uh, is approving an institution that has discrimination as a core value, is that likely to be of value to the profession? I think the answer to that question is no. Uh, and then law experts in Nova Scotia, uh, which is Nova Scotia's Bar Society, right, just right. voted, and uh, they unanimously, the Dalhousie University, they voted unanimously to tell the Nova Scotia Bar Society that, to reject that, and they basically did. Yeah. These, um, are the, these are the law professors at Dalhousie, which yes. is, of course, the big university in Nova Scotia. They are unanimous, unanimously recommended to the Nova Scotia Bar Society that they reject these TWU graduates should they apply in Nova Scotia. So the Bar Society has, did vote, and they, they said they will accept graduates if the uh, uh, TWU removes the covenant policy. Which is, well, that's the whole issue. I mean, this covenant creates a, an environment where it is just inherently wrong to be gay. And, and you can't, the argument is, and I agree with this, that you cannot teach lawyers who are going to be unbiased and fair in the representation of of gay clients or if they have been raised and taught in that that uh, atmosphere of this is just inherently wrong you can't that is not going to give you an unbiased view you're not going to be able to fairly represent those people and that's the whole issue so if they don't have a covenant I don't have a problem with them having a law school it's the covenant that is the problem what? Well, what, what, sorry uh, what I was thinking is what about Canadian law in, in terms of the law does not discriminate against uh, homosexual exactly. activity or homosexual marriage or anything like that. If that is the law, how can you claim to be a lawyer? If you're, a, you're I guess as a lawyer, you're sworn to uphold the law and mm -hmm. the law of the land does, uh, you know, allow, that. That, that, uh, allow for, for, for homosexual uh, marriages and, and relations. How, how, as a lawyer, do you operate uh, to the letter of the law? That, that is something I would like to sort of answer. Yeah, I'll get an uh, answer to it. If anybody out there is actually listening, uh, you can call in and uh, try not to troll us. Uh, number is 646-478-4509. Uh, we will be screening the calls. <laughs> but uh, I think the, the elephant in the room in all this is, yeah, the, uh, Michael Morgan has a good point. He says it doesn't advance a law in a way. But really, the, the elephant in the room is something like this basically means that Somewhere down the road, there's going to be a graduate of the school that's going to become a lawyer, and down the road, a judge. And if their religious values surpasses their values of the law of the land, you're in a judge that's not biased to begin with. Uh, unbiased, I should say, right. to, to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So when you have somebody, a defendant comes before him or her, and this person, let's just say, for example, is a homosexual or, or even another religion, how can you expect this judge to be completely impartial if they value their religious teaching before they're, uh, they're secular teaching. Yeah. And that is a very, very dangerous slope, I think. And the idea really here, it seems to be more about um, the precedent that this could set and the chain mm -hmm. of events. And especially we're talking about, unfortunately, our societies, um, I mean, unfortunately, by my opinion, uh, our society is such uh, in its, um, you know, how we integrate lawyers in, our, in the ability to control the, the flow of a political debate. Uh, rather than you know having more engineers, doctors, or teachers in the political system, we have a lot of lawyers. That this could really start um, over time, challenging the political debate and moving it away from uh, 
the things that has made Canada such a great country, like the Charter of Human Rights and such, that, like uh, Usha was saying, enshrine uh, the idea that regardless of your, you know, your sexual orientation or uh, your choice of religion or your choice of no religion, you should be treated fairly. Exactly. That's a really good point. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, guys, because I can and because I'm very good at it, right? You guys don't mind if I play devil's advocate for a bit? Of course not. Okay, perfect. Well, oh, I thought that. you were trying to make a pun, you know, like a religious one with the devil and no, no, no. advocate, you know, <laughs> law school, Trinity Western Law Society. You're way too clever for us, Ash. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're giving yeah I'll, stop, I'll stop being pretentious. <laughs> but, okay, the, what I hear out there, and it's a very good point, what's the difference between doing this and just a high school student in a Catholic school? What is the difference, really? Well, the difference is, as Ash says, that these people are going to be making the laws that govern all of us. I don't really know what you're asking, though. Well, like, the, the, to me, there's no comparison there. Well, yeah, but these, these Catholic, the, the, the kid that's in grade 12 right now that's in the Catholic school, he might become a lawyer, too. He still has strong faith right now as a, as a high school student. So even if he goes to secular college and then become, becomes a lawyer, well, it's a good point, right? I mean... Is there really a, is there is there really that big of a like I said I'm playing devil's advocate here guys is there really that big of a an issue should we really be worried about that and if we start uh, thinking about that do we start thinking that we should ban all private religious institutions well you can't do that because they, they there's freedom of religion in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms so that's freedom to not practice a religion that's freedom to practice your religion they don't get government money for it but that doesn't mean that we can stop them from doing it I mean what's the difference between that and uh, someone saying well I'm going to stop you from being an atheist I mean you, religious freedom applies to everyone so no you can't ban religious schools outright oh but I want to I think um, uh, the the difference if I if someone asked me that question I would say is that um, the university system is more tapped into what you expect from a person going into society, uh, going into industry, going into uh, you know being socially active, being a, a good functioning citizen of society. Compared to high school, although high school does accomplish a lot of the same things, um, inherently I feel that university is kind of where you you kind of um, are nurturing this person to be an adult. Whereas in high school, you're still kind of thought of as, uh, you know, a, a youth, someone growing up. And people going to universities are not necessarily uh, in their late teens or their early 20s. You could have a guy in this such, and it essentially is very empowering to be able to go to university, get the right education, perhaps this law school. Or, I mean, look at the arg argument if... Um, are, you, are you saying the, the university education is more formative? Um more formative? Yeah, I would. Of, uh, of you as an individual, as compared to a high school education? Yeah. Well, no, not exactly. Uh, let, let me put forth another example. For example, let's take uh, another field that is a highly regulated profession that is integral to human society, like being a doctor. The equivalent of this, um, if you were a doctor, would be like saying, um, like, I, I'm not a doctor, so I can't really speak but like I, it's it's kind of like saying there's one particular we won't be using any um technology involving radioactive like we won't be using any x-rays because we feel that that's mm. that's against our philosophy of how we think science the health sciences work and all of the technology that follows using x-rays cannot be used now we can't use like and now you have to operate on these people now should are these doctors qualified to do this it's almost like bringing in alternative medicine 
That's an excellent analogy. Like, you know, it's, it's like legalizing homeopathy or something in the medical field on a wide-scale basis where you go to a government hospital, like you go to a regular public hospital and, uh, you know, you might be getting treated by a guy who has funky ideas about what's going to save you, you know, and... Or if uh, you don't believe in blood transfusion, for example. Yeah. And, and as an uh, individual, you're free to do that, but if you're a you're doctor, doctor who doesn't believe in that... Hospital, <laughs> yeah. in a hospital, how do you um, tell a patient, well, I, I don't think blood transfusion... You have to save a, a patient's life. Yes, and I think if you're in a in, in you're studying law, you're studying the law. You have to practice the law. How can you talk about the Charter and rights and everyone being equal before the law, when in fact your the the, the community that you are gaining the, studying the law from has in the, fact violated that basis? exactly. So how does that work? How how does that uh, form? How is it formulating your views and preparing you to be an effective lawyer in a community where, you know, homosexuality is accepted? So to exactly. me, it's, it's, it's like, yes, you're, you know, a high school student has, you know, going to a Catholic school. Yes, there's an analogy. But the analogy ends if you're studying a specific um, course of study, which is law, which is Canadian law. And therefore, you are out there to, to protect and ensure that the law is observed. You know, so there, there to me, that is where there's a little bit of a imbalance. Well, it I seems think. that every time we get a guest here, they just get smarter and smarter and they're way above me. So, coming well, up next week, these people are taking over the show. Well, well Kevin, actually, I have a, I have a good addition. Playing devil's advocate, if you pass the puck here. Um, <laughs> and I actually heard this on the CDC um uh, radio interview that they were they've been constantly interviewing a bunch of these guys from uh TWU and um one of the one of the higher ups uh in the administration part said something along the lines of um you know when we uh, we're a good institution and we've proven that time and time again with the quality of our graduates are getting positions and such and as far as um this uh what is it called? What is the exact word? Um, the covenant. The covenant. Community so, covenant. As far as this covenant goes, uh, this is only a ruling by which people should follow when they are on university grounds. You know, it's they're saying that we're not enforcing people to live, like take this as a code by which they live the rest of their lives. So in a way, they're saying this is our turf. We can decide it's a private university. You don't want to come here. You don't. You don't come here. You don't follow us. And they're saying that. You know, our lawyers can graduate here because they just think it's a good university. They just want to hang out with other people who form part of, um, you know, whatever belief system they have. And they can study in what they feel is a quality institution, graduate, and go practice law like any other lawyer. Why should they be stopped if all they're asking for is a restriction of certain activities within their privately owned? So they're they're putting forth the freedom question. Now, that's kind of a tough argument. What, what exactly would you guys say to that? I say the same thing I said before, that because you are teaching these students at this institution, and in, enshrined in that institution is uh, an inequality, an injustice against gay people. So if you are saying that that, that is the quality that we're going to live our life by, this inequality that our own Canadian law doesn't even recognize, how can you say that those people are going to be unbiased in their representation or their their job as a lawyer or as a judge in the future? You can't you are enshrining something in your institution 
and then you say, oh, they're just going to walk away from that and they're not going to think about that and they're not going to apply that to their life. Of course they are because the people that are mentoring them have those values. So he's, he's implying that they can just walk away from the values that are being instilled in them. I, I think that's a pretty weak argument anyway. If they didn't care about enshrining their, instilling those values in their students, why do they even have that community covenant? And, and of course, you, you can't forget also that uh, after law, politics is usually yeah, that, that is where I, I'm actually tremendously worried about things yeah, like and I mean, it's bad enough that right now the conservative government of Canada is extremely religious, much more than people realize. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, the minister right here in Abbotsford, uh, Ed Fast, yeah, the minister of, uh, I believe he's the minister of transport, right? Um, he he told to, to a friend of ours without, you know, uh, actually batting an eye that he thought the, uh, the conservative party was doing the work of God. Uh, and then you have the uh, minister whose name I forget, the science and technology one, who didn't even want to pronounce himself well, on, if you on think evolution. About, if you think about God from the Old Testament, the God is pretty mean, son of a bitch. So, oh, yeah. like, if they are doing the work of God, it's <laughs> kind of in line with, you know. So, entering politics now will be an ordination? That's a terrifying it, future. Yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of interesting trend. If, if you know, vote for me because I am a man of God. Or don't vote for him because he's not a it's man a, of God. Is that what it's going to be? It's, yeah. it's, it's already our democracy. Well, it's already happening a lot in the states. In the states, exactly. and 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 you can see it starting to try to happen here. For example, uh, you had the prime minister one time say, "God bless Canada." You know, I've never heard that of any prime minister, but he, he said that. And the mayor of Toronto, Ralph Ford, said the same thing. God bless Toronto. And people, the, the, uh, the, uh, I remember the <laughs> reporters, they were just laughing them off the building. But yeah, they're trying. Yeah. These people are trying. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's gloomy. It's a gloomy future as far as I'm concerned. I'd just like to have one point. To what you're talking about a Catholic school. Well, TWU actually graduates teachers as well. They have a... That's right. And, and, the, and the BC Teachers Federation actually tried to prevent that. They had a court case. The Teachers Federation lost the court case because I, I think from what I read, it was because they didn't really do their homework. They assumed that these teachers would be instilling or indoctrinating the students that they had, but they didn't actually have data to back up that. So the, the court case didn't pass and TWU does graduate teachers, but that has been in people's minds before regarding this university. And yeah, they, if that is a way, a, a potential way to get religion in the classroom. Yeah, but I mean, it certainly doesn't stop in the states uh, or Roberts University, for example, That's right. right? Yeah. Which, of course, I'll be talking more in my rant a bit later. Uh, but you know, oh, my volume's too high. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I just can't hear me there for a second. So fine. Sorry about that, folks. So are we continue on that, or are we doing a spotlight on? Uh. uh Spotlight on. Oh no, I think Ash needs to, to have a to, some time to talk. He's been kind of quiet over there. Oh, okay. Ash is quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we should ask about Ash, about, <laughs> about himself and who he is and where he's from and all that stuff. We didn't just invite you here for your pretty face. Who Who are you? <laughs> what, why are you in my house? <laughs> and this show just went down the drain yet again. Hey. Oh, I, know. Just I hate that sound bite. Oh my god. <laughs> Come on, that's a classic sound bite. Oh, fine. We'll give you the the mic, Ash. Go right ahead. Who are you, Ash, and what are you doing in my house? 
Well, I, I thought you originally. I thought you were going to give me some authentic Quebecois poutine, and then, uh, but then instead you sat me down with this mic and. <laughs> Yes, that's, that's how we get all our kids. We just kept it with Lure food. you in. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm not speaking for Kevin, but I'm very glad you're here, Ash. So thank well, you for thank coming. You, Karen. I'm, I'm very glad I'm, I'm here, too. Um, I, I, I'm quite narcissistic, and being able to uh, hear my voice filter through the mic back in my headphones is quite a treat. It gives you a sense of power, should, doesn't it? It does. It does. Well, you just, you just have a great voice. I can pretend that Kevin's... Um, Big shot at CBC, and this is, this is a dream. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I was very excited that both of you were coming today because Usha and Ash are two of the most positive people I know. They really positive energy, and they never say negative things. That, is, thought, that, is, really, that is really cool and really frightening at the same time. You need to hang around more positive people because <laughs> I find myself as one of those cynical like people oh. know, so I mean that's good though. Thank you. Thanks for the compliment. I don't know. True. <laughs> well, actually, we'll, we'll put the spotlight on you a bit. There, you're also a member of Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics and Humanists. That is correct. Yeah. That's and where uh, well, what what brought you to that that group? You know, the resident atheist, I guess. I actually, table. I actually knew about the group for a long time because one of the uh, active members. Um, is a good friend of mine that I met um, at university. Uh, not university, just randomly around through common friends. And um, uh, I always crack this joke, and I know some people uh, really hate this, but uh, the goop is about me, right? It's, like, <laughs> it's Fra- Fraser Valley, Ash, Atheist, Skeptics, Humanist. It's almost like God wanted me to be part of this group. But um, psh, Wow. Um, <laughs> you weren't kidding about the narcissism, were you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I'm I, I grew up. Um, I don't even know if you you could call it atheism because I never thought about it actively until I was in my late teens. Because my dad was just kind of uh, irreligious, really. And uh, um, the other interesting thing is, um, I grew up in India. I've, I've um, in my 25 years of life, I've lived 20 of them in India, and I moved here five years ago. And um, throughout my life in India, what I realized, I, religion only started becoming something like as a like a, a social force uh, only after I came to Canada, and I started realizing it all around me in Abbotsford as to, like I would actually get into discussions with people about things like evolution, and that was so astounding that there are people in what is essentially a highly educated, highly developed first world nation, uh, believing in these funky ideas about the earth being 6,000 years old and such. And I didn't really, uh, it, it didn't occur to me how how deep it is entrenched in uh, the social conversation here until I came here. Because in India, you never hear about things like this. Like it's, it, the religion, the primary religion in India, Hinduism is so old uh, along with you know us sharing the population base with uh, Muslims and uh, Jews and Zoroastrians and Sikhs and Jains, it, it, the the conversation is so old. We're talking about like older than three, four millennia. That it's something that um, you know, it's it's not like I, I think in theology, well, that's really, you know, besides Judaism, Christianity is are called younger religions, including Hinduism and Zoroastrianism, religions that still exist and they've been there since, you know, times of the Persian Empire, like 3000 BC and such. Hmm. So, yeah, where I did kind you of jump topics there, but sorry. Where did you grow up in India? 
I grew up in uh, Bombay, so Mumbai oh, now, so B-Town represent. No, I, I, just, I just wanted <laughs> to say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the best representation I usually tell people. It's kind of like the Manhattan of India. So, it's, yeah. Big city boy. Big, big city boy. Like, the population of my city is uh, two-thirds the population of Canada. Close oh, to two, two, 20 million people. Wow. To give you an idea. So uh, I, I can't even conceive of that, honestly. <laughs> our, our concept of uh, personal space in, in Bombay is that your toes are not being stepped on. Um, so, incidentally, you know you're true Canadian when someone steps on your toes and you apologize. So <laughs> are you only child or do you have brothers and sisters? I, I, am, I am an only child, yes. But the narcissistic part comes from that part. It's not, it's not completely my fault. Either. And you came here to go to... University. Uh, yes, I did go to. I, I went to University of the Fraser Valley uh, in Abbotsford. They gave me a good deal for um, a credit transfer, and it was a good way to just check out something new and mm-hmm. come to Canada. So you're saying, so there, like, you, were you to you were taught um, evolution in school and and everything, just like science? Yeah, it's not even like the the conversation doesn't even exist. It almost sits kind of in parallel, but you mm-hmm. you understand, you kind of separate the myth from the science. And yeah. you can, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's kind of complicated, but it's, uh, it's almost like you can separate what you need from religion on its uh, spiritual merit and what you need from um, life on its factual merit and live with both of those elements in your life. So you can go to the festival and completely, um, you know, be very religiously active and believe in God and believe in, like, you know, a pantheistic uh, version of God. So you go and you worship a certain God in a certain uh, time of the year when it's, you know, it's the goddess of prosperity or you want to worship, um, you know, the goddess of void for certain different things in different festivals. You worship different gods and it never occurs in the entire um, conversation about God. And I mean, bear in mind, I'm also coming from a big city and I'm coming from a very liberal family, so I, I can't speak for everyone. But even when I've traveled across India and I've met different people, uh, the conversation never exists in the same fashion that it does with um, the Judaic or the Judaic-derived faiths in mm. North America. Interesting. It is a relatively new phenomenon. I mean, I, I remember as a kid... The whole creationism versus evolution debate. Nobody there ever thought debate. about that. I Nobody mean, ever no questioned that. I was thinking that too. I went to Catholic schools all through until secondary. And so, you know, we taught, were taught sciences, biology, physics, etc. in school. And it was never a conflict to teach about evolution, mm-hmm. even though I, you know, I was probably taught by nuns. Hmm. So That's it was interesting. not a, a, a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Th- that idea is uh, very popular. Time. So it, that's kind of interesting. I think it's probably a bit more current, as you were mm-hmm. saying, Kevin. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I seem to do the correlation as soon as the, um, the whole new neoconservative movement came in. You know, when the, it was Ronald Reagan in the States, it was uh, Brian Moroni here in Canada, Margaret Thatcher. That's when religion took a, like a second breath and everything started coming in that way. You know, the, the, the conservative Christian really took a... A turn for the worse, let's just say. Hopefully we'll get out of that soon enough. It is interesting. I remember in grade six that we said the Lord's Prayer every morning. But at the same time, uh, there were some kids in my class who were, who were being really racist. And so my teacher uh, instituted this big unit on uh, multiculturalism. He was, he was very, very good about 
respecting other races and other religions and he was you know we had it was it was a great learning experience but we still had the lord's prayer every morning but that that was a i don't know a strange dichotomy but we still learn evolution exactly it's, it's this, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, i mean and I, I we had the same thing we had like um like some kind of four hymns or songs or something every morning. One of them was the national anthem, and every morning at school we would have to do that. And uh, but it never occurs in the in the dialogue that this is about, you know, specifically about, um, you know, worship. I, I think prayer is also like a social activity. It's also something embedded in culture. Like you know, just how like I always bring up Israel because a large proportion of uh, people living in Israel, the Jews, are secular. But being Jewish is part of their cultural history. So you read the Tanakh because it's part of your cultural history and you can do it without having you can read it like literature. You can read it mm-hmm. like uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well mm-hmm. I got to do a bit of housekeeping here and got to move on. So thank you Ash. Thank you. Yeah that's very interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's almost blushing there. <laughs> Um, so every every show we try to do a uh, spotlight on somebody who is actually. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. We try to do a spotlight on somebody who is actually worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're never doing oh, the spotlight on I'm me. I'm sorry, all the people, millions of you, we just offended. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I mean by that? <laughs> mostly just me. Mostly just offended. Right after my second. Yeah. No, but we, we we don't want to talk about stuff that goes on with celebrities in Hollywood. But we rather talk about. Um, okay, intellectuals I, and I better start researching again. I'm sorry, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you do have your spot, right? Yes, I okay, do. Okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> let's do that spotlight on. I don't know if I'm saying her name right, but it's Wangari Maathai. She's Wangari Maathai. Well, she was. She died in, in 2011, but she was a great environmentalist, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and. Uh, Awesome African American woman, uh, just African actually, not African American. Although she did, she was educated in the states. But anyway, shall I begin? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. for a second, I thought that's all you had on her. I said, wait. Oh, that's it. We're done. <laughs> done now. <laughs> no, no. There's no. much more to her. So she she won too many awards to mention them all, but a few of them, her most remarkable achievements include being the first woman in East and Central Africa to earn a PhD. She was the first woman to chair a department at the University of Nairobi. She was the first woman in Eastern Central Africa, even to be appointed as a professor. Um, she's the first African woman and the first environmentalist to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And in 1977, she started the Green Belt Movement, which is what mostly I'm going to talk about right now. Um, so to date, that organization has planted over 51 million trees in Kenya, where Maasai was born. So the following is from their website, from the uh, Green Belt Movement. It was founded uh, to respond to the needs of rural Kenyan women who reported that their streams were drying up, their food supply was less secure, and they had to walk further and further to get firewood for fuel and fencing. GBM, the Greenbelt Movement, encouraged women to work together to grow seedlings and plant trees to bind the soil, store rainwater, provide food and firewood, and receive a small monetary token for their work. Um, So shortly after beginning this work, Professor Masai saw that behind the everyday hardships of the poor, um, environmental degradation, deforestation, and food insecurity. So, but to them, no water and no firewood. There were deeper issues of disempowerment, disenfranchisement, and a loss of the traditional values that had previously enabled communities to protect their environment. 
And the Greenbelt Movement instituted seminars in civic and environmental education to encourage individuals to examine why they lacked agency to change their political, economic, and environmental circumstances. Participants began to understand that for years they had been placing their trust in leaders who had betrayed them, and they were sabotaging their lives by not working for the common good and failing to use their natural resources wisely. So basically, the government in Kenya would take chunks of land and just give them to people who had voted for them or give them to powerful political allies and then they would deforest them they, they, and all the profit goes to a few people and the people the people who live there starve to death and have nothing it's their land that's just been taken from them and and uh, all the trees cut down all the water sheds dried up so so she saw the the very obvious problem there and uh and besides planting the trees she really worked hard to give people a political education and understanding so that they knew how to change the situation themselves. They weren't just going to be dependent on their government leaders. They were going to make a difference in their own lives. And she believed in true grassroots activism and that people need to set aside their fear and take charge of their lives. And she also seemed to realize that this happens incrementally. The women she encouraged began with planting trees to provide the very basics, firewood to cook and water to drink, and then through this manual work, they learned about broader environmental issues, then how the government was hindering rather than helping them. From there, they learned about their own rights, which was especially important, important as they were largely marginalized and undereducated. These were women who were, were left to do all these, this labor, and uh, you know, there's no schooling. They're out collecting firewood and water. They're not educated at all. So then they put this knowledge to practical purpose by nonviolent protests of government land giveaways and uh, they were taught in the democratic process, and they, Mathai also organized rural uh, all-candidates meetings. And so she would bring the candidates to these two churches and community centers and, and have the people there ask questions and get first-hand information from these politicians. And she herself was elected to parliament in 2002 with 98% of the vote. <laughs> yeah. In her Nobel Prize acceptance speech, she summed up the values of her grassroots movement uh, by saying, industry and global institutions must appreciate that ensuring economic justice, equity, and ecological integrity are of greater value than profits at any cost. The extreme global inequities and prevailing consumptive patterns continue at the expense of the environment and peaceful coexistence. Which kind of reminds me of the tar sands, actually. (laughs) So she was more than once illegally prevented from running for office in Kenya. She was slandered. She was, oh, this is my favorite. She was told to shut up and be an obedient wife. Yeah. She was beaten. She was jailed. She was forced into hiding for helping women to plant trees and she and for speaking out against government corruption. But she never stopped and she never faltered in her message. And this is a quote from her Nobel Prize speech. It is 30 years since we started this work. Activities that devastate the environment and societies continue unabated. Today, we are faced with a challenge that calls for a shift in our thinking so that humanity stops threatening its life support system. We are called to assist the earth to heal her wounds and in the process, heal our own. Indeed, to embrace the whole creation in all its diversity, beauty, and wonder. This will happen if we see the need to revive our sense of belonging to a larger family of life with which we have shared our evolutionary process. In the course of history, there comes a time when humanity is called to shift to a new level of consciousness, 
to reach a higher moral ground, a time when we have to shed our fear and give hope to each other. That time is now. Hmm, a good speech. I have a two-minute clip here, if you guys will allow me to play that. Uh, it's entitled, I Will Be a Hummingbird. We are constantly being bombarded by problems that we face. And sometimes we can get completely overwhelmed. The story of the hummingbird is about this huge forest being consumed by a fire. All the animals in the forest come out and they are transfixed as they watch the forest burning and they feel very overwhelmed, very powerless, except this little hummingbird. It says, I'm going to do something about the fire. So it flies to the nearest tree, takes a drop of water, and it puts it on the fire, and goes up and down, up and down, up and down, as fast as it can. In the meantime, all the other animals, much bigger animals, like the elephants with a big trunk, could bring much more water. They are standing there helpless, and they are saying to the hummingbird, what do you think you can do? You're too little. This fire is so big. Your wings are too little. And you're big, so small. You can only bring a small drop of water at a time. But as they continue to discourage it, he turns to them without wasting any time and tells them, I'm doing the best I can. And that, to me, is what all of us should do. We should always feel like a hummingbird. I may feel insignificant, but I certainly don't want to be like the animals watching as the planet goes down the drain. I will be a hummingbird. I will do the best I can. Yeah, so that was basically her in a nutshell. And uh, that was taken from uh, Dirt the movie. Uh, she's featured in many, many movies. Anything you guys want to add to this? Is that the documentary about soil, dirt? Yes, yes. Um, it's a very good documentary, by the way. If you haven't watched that, that uh, the premise of the documentary is funny how we remove uh, dirt to try to mine for minerals underneath and we throw away what is really the most precious part of it. Right, yeah. like five five kilometers of this thing that supports all life on the planet. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. And then there was this, uh, I can't remember the uh, the exact name, the uh, Overburden? Overburden. Yeah, Overburden. It's, it is ironic. Yeah, when they they scrape the soil off to for the tar sands, they call it the overburden. overburden. And I we actually heard uh, on a documentary that some politicians say, without irony, that this was actually helping the earth because they were taking away, I don't know, some kind of unwanted mineral, and then when they put the soil back, it was much better soil. Uh, you know, completely yeah. ignoring the fact that they've just made this massive scar and they're poisoning all of the soil and the water. And uh, uh, it's just staggering. That's somehow supposed to be helpful to the Earth. So we got a little bit, uh, about 20 minutes left. I think I'll pound this. Pound this five. So I guess it's time for my rant. You got a 20-minute rant? No. It's <laughs> not that long. I wouldn't be he surprised. He needs an hour to rant. Come on. You guys are making me sound way worse than I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kudos to Michael Mulligan for taking to task the Law Society of BC for accepting Trinity Western University graduates. His premise is that it won't advance the justice system in any way, shape, or form, but the elephant in the room is quite simply the separation of church and state. 
Now, I wish the 1982 Canadian Constitution did not contain what is essentially a preamble recognizing the Christian God that was more specific in its secularity, like our neighbors to the south. Although the Supreme Court uh, made it official that Canada was a secular country in its ruling on the Lord's Day Act in 1985, conservative Christians still try to paint Canada as a country where God rules. I don't want to use the word theocracy lightly, but this is exactly what these people are trying to do. This way of thinking is not just a slippery slide. It's a dangerous dip covered with astroglide lubricant. Now, many of us grew up with the old wisdom from our folks and heard things like, when the U.S. sneezes, Canada gets a cold. It was a metaphor that described how interlinked our two countries are, and whatever affects the Americans, it's only a matter of time before Canadians feel the effects, too, and amplify it. So now we can turn our gaze towards the South and predict the effects of theological teachings into law and politics. For a number of years now, private Christian universities in America, like Oral Roberts University, have been teaching their students to respect their God's law, then the law of the land. When push comes to shove, in their view, the Bible is the final say. With an enrollment of more than 3,000 students from 50 states, they have significant influence when their graduates leave school to enter public life and politics. The result is astounding. Just one Christian school, Oral Roberts, has given the U.S. the cream of the crop of idiocy, like televangelist Ted Haggard and Joel Olstein, and Congressman, Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, who still claims that gay aversion therapy works and Jesus' kingdom is at hand, to name but a few. During his presidency, George W. Bush appointed many of the university's graduates to government posts, and we all know how that ended. Who could forget the memorable line uttered by the faith-driven president, Gog and Magog are at work in the Middle East, as he referred to biblical demons in an effort to convince French President Jacques Chirac at the time to help him invade Iraq. Is this where we as a country want to head to? Lawmakers and politicians who strive to bring their version of morality as dictated by the various deities? Would we let this slide by if an Islamist university pumped out graduates focused on bringing Sharia law to Canada? Would we accept Buddhist lawyers prosecuting on the merits of reincarnation? Would we accept the Hindu defense of karma? There's a very good reason why Canada is a secular country. It's the only way to be fair. And in the absence of any evidence of an actual deity guiding our lives, the precautionary principle dictates that we should assume that only our laws, our own laws, should prevail. There's too much at stake for our society to let mythology guide our action, and this is why we have separation of church and state. That takes us pretty much towards the end of our show. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ash and I want to thank Usha as well for coming here. You guys have been uh, great guests. Yes, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, Lovely to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Go ahead, take the couple of minutes to plug your your uh, your uh, perspective and your uh, your society that you guys come from. Cool. Cinema Politico, we can find Cinema Politico where? Cinema Politico, you can find us on the web at Cinema Politico Ridge Meadows mm-hmm. to get details on our next screening and what we're up to. And if you would like to find out about our youth film festival, we're on Facebook, Cinema Politico Ridge Meadows, and you can get links from there. I highly recommend it. Cinema Politica is a great experience. Really fun and informative. And for you, Ash? 
Um, I just think people should ride their bicycles more often. <laughs> I, I think I'm just going to say that. That's like the the political. I, I don't belong to any big society besides the uh, Fraser Valley Atheist, Skeptics, and Humanist Club. And um, I mean, they're pretty cool. I mean, I know you from there, Kevin. I'm also going to plug Kevin's poutine that he hasn't given me any of yet. <laughs> I've been talking about it for months. And uh, now I'm finally going to Montreal because I couldn't get a decent poutine in BC. So. Uh, Kevin, get the man some poutine, please. <laughs> okay, okay. Twisting my arm here. Twisting my arm. Um, and next, uh, next show, we're going to have, uh, we are scheduled to have John Vissers to come in, and he's going to talk to us about the incineration project that's happening in Vancouver, how it's going to affect the valley. We also have uh, booked in uh, the people of uh, Cause in Mission uh, that talked about uh, their struggle against the city and uh, how to stop uh, Cause Dance for Citizens Against, against Urban, urban Sprawl Society. Society. We also uh, are booking, uh, talking uh, with uh, um, Peter Bogosian on his book on uh, the Manual for Creating Atheists, and we should have hopefully have him uh, via Skype. Uh, if you want to know more about the show, you want to send us some uh, love mail or hate mail, where do we find us? Um, com. Perfect. Well, until next time, people, have a great day and uh, have a great week, and we will see you guys soon enough around here. Have a good one. Bye. Peace. Bye. I think you missed your calling, Jack. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.